This week's parasha is Parashas Mishpatim. And basically, once we get up to Parashas Mishpatim, the fun and games are over. Up until now, we have Sefer Bereshis with all of the great lessons of the Aves, the Yimais, and the Shvatim, and Yaisa Tzadik, and Mitzrayim. Shemais begins again with the, uh, with the servitude under Egypt, and uh, they're great stories. Not so much halacha, a little short on mitzvahs, but a lot of musr, and a lot of drushes, and a lot of wonderful lessons that people can learn from Chumash, in a musr aspect, in a midas aspect. And now comes Mishpatim, and serious business begins. We have tons of new mitzvahs. It's Chayshem Mishpat. We speak about Abadim, and we speak about, about all the, 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 the different halachas about Ben Adam in terms of Mamanis, and about digging a, a pit, and about stealing, and Dalad Vehei. And the parsha goes on and on. All the things that we're learning about in Baba Kama come to life in this week's parsha and many, many other various mitzvahs about not causing an almana problems, yisaymim, not to be ma'ana, um, many, many mitzvahs. This is a parasha that's packed and pregnant with mitzvahs. And this is really the basis of halacha. This week's parasha begins, the Elam Mishpatim, these are the Mishpatim Asher Tassim Lufneim, Rashi says, Asher Tassim Lufneim, it's supposed to be placed before Kal Yisrael, Kishulchan Ha'aruch, Umuchan Lechal Lufnei Adam, that a person is supposed to understand the halachas and it should be clear to them like a Shulchan Aruch. That's why the name of the, perhaps one of the most famous farm that we have is the Shulchan Aruch written by Rabbi Yisrael Karay, he made a table that was set for Klal Yisrael so that we're able to know halacha. We're able to know everything that we're supposed to do from the time that we get up in the morning, which is the first si'if in the first simon of Shulchan Aruch. Yisgaber Kari, you're supposed to get up like a lion in the morning to do the service of the Rabbeinu Shleilam. And the Ramah right away says, Shri Nagi Samid, you have to put HaKadosh Baruch in front of you at all times, the basics of, of Yadus, and it goes through all of the Dalit Chalkei Shulchan Aruch about the daily activities that we have in Arachayim, about Eben Ezer, this, the Deen of Nashim, marriage and divorce, Vachulay, and then Yeridea about Issa Veheter and Cheshemishvet about Mamanis. This is the Shulchan Aruch that HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants to be set, the table has to be set before us, that we should know halacha. And my question is, as we are standing on the borderline between the world of Musar and Midas, which is Sefer Bereshis and up until now in Sefer Shemais, and now we are on the line of demarcation and we begin Mishpatim, we begin the actual halachas, we enter into the world of halacha as we are sort of stepping out of the world of Midas and into halacha. My question is, what do you do if there is a 
collision course, a conflict between Midas and Halacha. Which one wins? You might think, well, how is that possible? What do you mean? Halacha is Halacha, and, and presumably Halacha, that's the tire as well, so that's your Midas. Not necessarily. There are some times that Halacha says one thing, but it really goes against the essence of, of, of Midas. I'll just give you one example, but there are hundreds of examples. But this comes up all the time. A person, let's say you're going for a job interview. And there's a, a woman interviewer. And this is very important for you to, 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 to do just right because this woman is going to be deciding the fate of whether or not you get into medical school or graduate school or not. And she, of course, when you come into her office, she sticks out her hand. She wants to shake your hand. That's normal, civilized practice in the Western world. What do you do? So I'm not getting into the halachas of it because there might be paiskim that say it's 100% mutter. There are paiskim that say that it's abizraya da'arayas, it's 100% asit de'ar vayavar. And then there are many shittas in between, and I'm not a paisik in any which way, and I'm not going to tell you what you should do. But, but let's assume for a second that it's mamish asr to shake a woman's hand under any circumstance. So what do you do? Well, say here you have an issue of halacha. Halacha says you can't, let's say. Midas says that you have to. Not just for your job. That's an extreme situation. But let's say you're going to a Hanukkah party and your aunt Beverly comes over to you and she wants to, she wants to give you a hug. What do you do? If you say, Aunt Beverly, not now. I don't do that anymore. I got religious and uh, you know my religion doesn't allow it. You're going to probably make her feel very bad. You're going to make that interviewer feel very uncomfortable. Besides for it not being good for you personally, but Midas-wise, it's just not nice. And there's so many examples of this, that you're doing things that are that halacha seems to tell you that you must do, but yet there's collateral damage in the Midas department. And obviously, if you're able to do everything together, then we wouldn't, there's no discussion here. Because you could do everything. And there are people that are very that they're so nice and they're so perfect that they're able to pull off everything perfectly. You're able to go into a job interview and somehow, you know, with your charm and your, and your, your, your gift of speech and your eloquence, you'll be able to un- make her understand that this is Jewish law and I don't do it, and, you know, and, but it's nothing against you. And, and maybe you could walk away scoring extra points. But very often it's not the case. Very often people don't understand it and it's very... It, it comes across as being rude and maybe condescending. So you have halacha on one hand, you have parshas mishpatim on one hand, you have the shulchan aruch dictating what we're supposed to be doing. But then there's sefer bereishis, there's midas, there's being a yashar. Sefer bereishis is called sefer ayisharim. Famous mitziv in the to his hamish 
speaks about why it's called Yesharim. Why are why is the Sefer called Sefer Yesharim? Because the Avis were called Yesharim. What made the Avis Yesharim? They always took the high road. They always did everything straight and perfect, and they didn't always they didn't care as much about themselves as they did others. They were sensitive to other people. So we have a convergence of Sefer Bereshis versus Sefer Shemais. What do you do? Assuming that you can't combine both. And I want to just bring a few stories. I don't have many halachic marimachimists for this. I just want to bring some anecdotal evidence. And sometimes stories are maybe not perfect proofs, but I just want to illustrate through what Gedalim did in certain instances to give us maybe a, a certain semblance of what we should be doing. There's a story about Rav Shimon Schwab. And Rav Shimon Schwab was a bacher who learned, even though he was from Frankfurt in Germany, he was sent or he went to the Mir in Poland. Two different worlds, Eastern Europe from Western Europe, the world of Yekis to the world of the Litvish and the, the Polish Jewry. And Rav Schwab was steiging in the mirror. He was loving it. He was very close with his rabbeim. He made trips to the Chafetz Chaim. He was like living a dream, being in, in, this, in this rarefied world of the yeshiva in Eastern Europe. He had to go home for a yantif, and he didn't have money. He ran out of money. So Rabbi Rucham Lubavitz, the saintly mashkiach in the mirror, had a gemach of some sort. He used to lend out money to Bachem and Yeshiva that needed it. So Schwab knocked on his office door, came before Rabbi Rucham, and said to Rabbi Rucham, Rabbi, I need to borrow, let's call it $100 to get home for Pesach. So Rabbi Rucham right away happily got the $100 out of his safe or whatever it was and gave it to Rav Schwab. And Rav Schwab said to Rabbi Rucham, thank you so much. I very much appreciate it. I'm going to give it back to you when I come home from Yontif. So, Rabbi Rucham got very upset at young Rav Schwab and he started lacing into him and saying, you... Yekisha Bacher, if you Bacher from Germany, you German Jews are so into your etiquette and doing everything right and your fineness and your midas and your, you know, you're so into that that you felt that it overrides halacha. You know as well as I do that there's halacha about Ribbisavarim. That when you borrow money from somebody, just like you're not allowed to repay ribis, to add interest to the principal amount, the Torah forbids that. The tire, it's also us there to, to have ribis devarim. When a person says, thank you for the loan, that's akin to doing a mice of ribis. 
instead of adding money to the principal, I'm adding a thank you, but I'm giving you back more than you gave me. And that's Ribbis Tavarim. And you knew that Ribbis Tavarim is Aser, but yet because of your Midas, because of your etiquette, because of your, your, your German sense of propriety, that everything has to be just so, you couldn't resist saying thank you to me. So you had that choice between following halacha or following what you perceive as midas, and perhaps is good midas, even from a Torah perspective, but it's not in this case. And you chose that midas trump halacha. And again, for he kept on chazering this over and over, and Shrab was turning all colors. Nebuch, he was like, he walked out of that office, Abu Bukhafi Raj, you know, it wasn't even worth the money, I would have stayed here in Yeshiva, I don't want to go home anywhere, I don't want to, I don't want to live. Like, uh, what, what's going on? What do, what, do, what do I need this for? What, what did I do wrong? I said, thank you. Anyway, he came back, and he gave him the money back, and then comes the next Yantav, it's Sukkis now. And the Shrav has to go home again for Yantav, and again, he didn't have the money, so he knocks on Yerucham's door. And he says to Yerucham, I need to go home again. Can I please, can I borrow $100? So Yerucham says yes, and he takes out $100, and he gives it to Rishwab, and Rishwab takes the money, puts it in his pocket, and makes a beeline to the door, and he's going, going he's leaving, and no thank you. I, don't, you know, I don't want to go through that again. So this time I'm going to stick Mamash Ta'awakho. And he's almost at the door, and Rabbi Rucham starts screaming at him. He says, what's the matter? You don't say thank you? I give you $100, and you can't even say thank you to me? So at this point, understandably, Rabbi Schwab, you know, didn't know anymore what to think about the Mashkiach. Like, what's going on over here? And he says to him, he says, I don't understand what's going on. Pesach time, I came to the, the Mashiach, I borrowed $100, I said thank you, and I got an earful that how I'm a terrible Yakish Shabbat. And now, I don't say thank you, like the Mashiach wanted, and I get yelled at for not saying thank you. What's, I don't understand. What am I supposed to do? So Rucham says, you're right. You're not allowed to say thank you. Halacha says you're not allowed to say thank you, but... Your face has to show that you would want to say thank you. I want to be able to see on your face a thank you even without verbally expressing a thank you. You have to look like you appreciate what I did, and you didn't. And for that, I have a tain on you. I once told this story to Baron Schechter. I was walking home with him on Shabbos once, and I told him this mice, he loved the mice, and he said in Yiddish, he says, Dos haste fine-tuning. What does fine-tuning mean? Nobody in this room really knows what fine-tuning is, I think. Except for people of my age and up. Fine-tuning means that in the olden days, if you had, let's say, a, uh, you know, a radio that has a dial, like a physical dial, not a digital radio, or if you have a television set, that has a... Uh, that has a, uh, a dial on it. So in the olden days, I, you would spend an inordinate amount of time like going back and forward and back until you get like the perfect station, you know, the, the reception perfect, 
or until you get the, uh, the, the fuzz off of the TV, you know, all the static and everything, you have to like keep on going back and forth. That's called fine tuning until you get it perfect. And that's what Rabbi Rucham was able to do with his Talmidim. He was able to fine tune them so that they find that perfect place on the dial that's right in the middle. They're able to adhere to halacha and at the same time be a Balmidas. But at the end of the day, if you have a choice between both, halacha rules. Halacha always takes precedence over the other. You have to, if you know that there's halacha by Rebbe Savarim, then even though you have a big Yetzirah or Yetzirah Taib mitzad your Musar, mitzad your Midas, mitzad your values to say thank you, but you have to somehow resist that because halacha says that you're bound to not say thank you. It seems cruel. It seems not appropriate. But ultimately, the Rabbeinu Shalom speaks through the Shulchan Aruch. And if this is what the Rabbeinu Shalom wants us to do as expressed in the Shulchan Aruch, then that's what we have to do, even if it goes against our basic principles. Now we have to try to fine-tune it so that we're able to show a smile on our face, to show a thank you on our face, and to mitigate the Midas problem as much as possible. At the end of the day, if the halacha says something, we have to adhere to halacha. Ve'ela ha-mishpat These are the mishpat, and you have to listen to, to the halacha. Halacha rules over everything. Halacha has to dictate our very essence in life from the moment we, go to, we wake up till the morning we go to sleep, from the time we go out of the bathroom to the time that we wash to eat and we bench and all the brachas in between, and what we do on Yom Kippur, and what we do on Rosh Hashanah, and what we do on Sukkot, and Hanukkah, and Purim, and Pesach, in times of Chasna, in times of every single moment of our life is dictated by Halacha. And Halacha tells us what we are supposed to be doing. It's a very easy life for a person that sticks to Halacha, because this is, I have no choice. I'm bound by the halacha. The Elam Mishpatim. There's a Meshach with Ramesha Feinstein. Ramesha once had a very important meeting with Gedele Yisrael about a very critical topic that was facing the Jewish people at the time. And so they met in a certain base Medish, I don't know which one. They daven mincha together with a lot of other people in the room. Let's say it was yeshiva. And after the meeting was over, time was of the essence. All the yeshivas were very busy and they had to implement this. And, they, and so they said, as soon as mincha is over, we're going to meet at the, in the shir room on the side of the base medrash. So all the rosh yeshivas and, and rebbes, they were sitting in the room and waiting for a measure. A measure was the head of the mayatzes. He was the head of the gedalim. And they couldn't start the meeting without him. He was the, he was the, the, the Maran Shal Yisrael, Rabbin Shal Yisrael. And they waited five minutes after Mincha was over, and they waited ten minutes after Mincha, fifteen minutes, twenty minutes. They were all sitting there patiently waiting, but then they started getting impatient. Where's Ramesha? We, he was by Mincha, where is he? Okay, so maybe he's not feeling well, I'll give him another time. It was like a half an hour later until Ramesha came into the room. And 
He apologized for being late. He said, okay, let's start the meeting. And they, somehow they were able to ask Ramesh, like, is everything okay with Rosh Shiva? Like, Ramesh says, everything is okay, and I'm sorry for being late. But there was a person that was standing right by the door of this room, and he was davening Shemayin Esrei. And I wasn't able to walk past him to get into the door. There was only one door to get into that meeting room. And this person was standing, he was davening a long Shemayin Esrei. And I wasn't able to go past him. And that's why I'm late. So they were looking at each other, strange. Okay, he's davening Shemayin Esrei, but you know, there's a meeting and we're, our time is worth something also. And and, uh, you know, make an exception. It's an emergency meeting. And so listen to what Ramesha said. Ramesha says, you don't understand something. There was a man that was standing, davening Shemena Esrei in front of the door. Halacha says you're not allowed to pass in front of somebody that's davening Shemena Esrei. To me, Halacha is a brick wall. Let's say there was a brick wall that was separating the door, me from the door. What would I do? I can't get through. You'd expect me to break down the wall. I can't get through the wall. There was a man down in Shemena Esrei. I wasn't able to walk in front of him. Halacha to me is a wall. Halacha is not something that's, well, you know, let's, uh, you know, by me, if I want to pass by something, I do one of two things. Either I, I walk a little quicker, you know, that's one option. Or like you do a head fake, you, you like pretend to walk one way and you walk the other way. You know, you do some shtick in order to get by and, and, and then you forget about it. But it's halacha. Halacha says you can't. So you're saying you can? You can't. But the, the point is that to you and me, halacha is something that, you know, it, it's everything in halacha is a chachila. But if I can come up with some rationale to make exceptions, and by the way, there of course always are exceptions to halacha. I don't mean to say that everything is so black and white. There are heterim and there's mechatzir, there's shasat chaks, there's a lot of heterim in a lot of different situations. I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about when something is pretty clear-cut that I'm not allowed to do it, don't justify it with your own rationale and it's not so bad and he has this and he has that. Ramesha didn't see it that way. Ramesha saw that I can't. If Allah says I can't, then I can't. What I physically can. Not that I, I, I ethically can't, I morally can't. I physically can't do it. Halacha is so strong, it's so important that it's not flexible for midas. You have to stick to halacha even though there's a room of Rashi's. I can, I can rationalize every which way how it's appropriate. But Ramesha says you can't. This is what I have to do. Halacha says, what can I do? If I, if I get a hefter from a paisik that I can, then I can. Ramesh was a pretty big place like himself, and he thought that there was no after. He saw halacha as a wall, as, as a reality. If Rabbi Yisav Kara put in halacha, and that's the halacha psukha for Kali Yisrael between the Ramah and, and, and Rabbi Yisav Kara together. By the way, the Ramah, the name of the Ramah's work, the glosses, those Haggais that he has throughout Shulchan Aruch, he called it the Mapa. The official name of the Sefer, I don't know if anyone knows it, it's some trivia, non-trivia trivia, the name of the Ramah Sefer was the Mapa. What does a Mapa mean? A Mapa means a tablecloth. It's a beautiful name for his Sefer because he took the Shulchan Aruch, the set table of 
Rav Yosef Taro, the Beis Yosef, and he put a tablecloth on it so that it was something that was able for the entire Kal Yisrael to partake of the Suda. Not just Svardim, which Rav Yosef Taro was, but Ashkenazim. Ramah was telling us what Minig Ashkenaz is, what Allah for Ashkenaz is. He made a, a tablecloth for that table. Rav Hutner in Hatgama that he wrote to the Dachai Meisha, which is one of the, a safer of the Ramah, he writes that eventually that mappa of Ramesha Isilis of Ramah became subsumed into the table. Meaning, originally there was a Shulchan Aruch and there was a mappa. But as Kal Yisrael developed and continued, the mappa and the table and the table became one. It became one entity. It wasn't like two separate svarim. It was one mahus of a set table. And to get, today, the, when you speak about the Shulchan Aruch, you don't say, well, the Shulchan Aruch you know, says this and the mappa says that. The Shulchan Aruch and the Ramah are one entity. And the Ashkenazim learned the Shulchan Aruch, learned the Mechaber, and the Svaidim learned the Ramah. And it became one, it sort of made this a safer that Kral Yisrael abides by. So we don't have two separate tires. We don't have a, a, a Shulchan Aruch for Ashkenazim and, say, and a Shulchan Aruch for Svaidim. We're one nation. We have obviously different halachas as they, as they, as they stand. But the body, the corpus of halacha is one. Klal Yisrael has one. It's like Har Sinai. Kinesinasa Misinai. The whole Shulchan Aruch is mamish like a Hemshech of Ma'am Which is, by the way, the Lashen that some early Gedalim use when describing the Shulchan Aruch. That the Sinasein Das Al Yada. That the, the law was given through Rabbi Yisrael Karim. It was mamish like a new Maimon Har Sinai with whole Klal Yisrael surrounding the house. It's a beautiful, a beautiful letter that Rav Hutner wrote as the introduction to that sefer. It's good to look at. There's a beautiful Misa with Rav Zusha Manipoli. Rav Zusha Manipoli was the great Hasidic rabbi and he lived in abject poverty. He was so poor that he had no furniture, he had no house, he was, he was living like mamish and squalor. He had no money, he literally had no money. Nothing in the kitchen, nothing in the, in the dining room, in the living room, nothing. And somebody came to him once, and uh, he was sent by a Rebbe to, to learn how to be happy in spite of having nothing, to be mistafik for Mu'ev, and had to be some echbechelkai, so he knocks on the door of Rabzush and he says, Rebbe, I was sent here by one of the Admirim to, to learn from you how to be happy in spite of having nothing. So Rabzush says, you must have the wrong address, because I don't look at it like I have nothing. I have everything. Meaning there are some people that think about themselves, I have nothing, but I'm still going to grin and bear it. Then there's another Madrega that Amamish Samet Bechalka because I feel like I have everything. But Rabzusha was one of those Yechide Skula that were able to have a wonderful feeling about all that they have in life and be able to be happy about their lot and feel wealthy. Rabzusha 
once saved up money. I don't know where he was able to get the money to save up. It's very hard to, uh, you know, to, to save anything. Because as soon as you, uh, as soon as you, somebody once, uh, I once had a, uh, a mashulach that came to me upstairs in my office, was collecting for a certain thing, and he said that, he said, I don't know how it came about, but he basically said that in Eretz Yisrael we say that, very, that today you're not chayv and meister. He was joking, but he said today you're not chayv and meister because you're only chayv and meister if it's roya pnei abayis. If, you know, if the, if the, let's say the tzvua comes into the, into the silo, then it's mechayv and meister. It doesn't see the pnei abayis, it doesn't come in to the front of the, the house, and it's not. He says today the money doesn't see pnei abayis. As soon as you get a paycheck, it's already spent a hundred different ways. Reb Zushu was able to somehow save up money for his wife to buy a dress for Shabbos. Now, today, if you want to buy a dress for Shabbos, you go to a department store and you pick out a dress off the rack and you try it on and you buy it. In those days, it was, they didn't have that. In those days, you had to go to a tailor, a seamstress, and uh, or a dressmaker, and she would first you pick out the material that you want to use, then you design the way it's going to look, and then you have to measure, get measured, and the, the sleeve length, and the, the skirt length, and there's a whole process, and, uh, and at the end, you pay for it after it's all done to your, to your liking. So Abzusha's wife comes and makes all these appointments, and she has her dress, and it's, she's, she's about to get her last fitting, and she's so excited. This is the last fitting. It's, if it fits, I'm going to pay. And she comes into the seamstress to the dressmaker, and the dressmaker looks terrible. She's so sad and so depressed. And she says, what's wrong? So she said, well, my daughter is engaged. And the chassan came to my store the other day, and he saw me making this beautiful dress, and he naturally assumed that it was for the kala. And he was so excited that, the, that me, uh, that I'm making a beautiful dress for, for the kala, for my daughter, and, and he's a very sensitive type of person, Mechassan. And I'm afraid, so I didn't say anything, I just said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I knew that if I would say that it's not for her, and that I have not, I'm not preparing any dress for her because we can't afford it, he might break the shit off. So I didn't say anything, but now I'm in, a, I'm in trouble because you're here today to pick up your dress, but I, I can't, uh, you know, I don't know what to do. It's going to, literally, it's going to break the shit off if I give you, if I, if I don't give my daughter this dress. So I know everybody's saying, well, what type of chasm? Maybe it's a good idea not to break the shit off. All right, but that's, let's leave that for another, another time. But the... Reb Zusha's wife was no doubt a tzaddikist, like Reb Zusha was a tzaddik. And she says, it's fine, keep the dress. Give it to your daughter, mazel tov, let the shidduch go on, everything is fine, it's fine, no, no problems, no dainas, it's good. And she was able to misabra over her, over her basic instinct, she was so excited, she didn't have a, a Shabbos dress in 20 years, her dress was in tatters, and, and, and now she had an opportunity to get it, she was mavater, fine. She comes home to Reb Zusha and Reb Zusha says, no, where's the dress? He's been hearing about this dress for like a year now. Where's the dress? So she tells him the whole story and she expects to get a big yashukayach and wow, you're tzadikas and let's dance and let's have a, let's make a kiddush. 
and Abzusha is visibly upset. So she says, what's wrong? I gave her the dress. Isn't that what you wanted? He says, yes. But did you pay her for it? Did you pay the seamstress for the dress? Why should I pay her for the dress? I didn't take home the dress. He says, maybe so, but you hired her to make a dress. She made the dress for you. Now you want to be Mavata on the dress, you want to be Michael on the dress, you want to give it to, your, to her daughter, that's fine. That's tzedakah. You're giving the dress to her, that's tzedakah. But you have a chiyah, you have an obligation on your part to abide by the laws of Chesh and Mishpah. You owe her money for making a dress. Ah, you didn't end up getting it? That's because you're a tzedakah. But what about all the time that she spent making you the dress? You owe her that time, you owe her that effort. That's how Makbid Halacha is. You have to stick to Halacha, even though you, you wouldn't naturally know that, or you wouldn't naturally think that that's normal. But that's what Halacha dictates. You have to listen to Halacha, even though you feel like morally you don't have to do that. I just remembered a mice order of Schwab. When Schwab grew up out of the, out of the Mir Yeshiva, he became the Rav in Germany, in, in a few cities, and then he became, came to Baltimore, he was a Rav of a very Chashabashul, and then of course he became the Rav of Royers in Washington Heights, the, the citadel of, of, of B'nai Ashkenaz in America. And somebody once came to Schwab and gave him a very big check for the, for the, for the yeshiva, that they had there, or maybe it was for the shul, a very large amount, a very generous contribution, and money is always short. And Rishwab said to him, what is this for? He says, this is tzedakah. He says, that's very generous of you, but I just want to ask you a question. I seem to remember that a few years ago, you declared bankruptcy. You went chapter 11, what is bankruptcy? Bankruptcy means that if a person, let's say your business is collapsing, there's a legal concept that the United States legal system permits called Chapter 11, which means that you, you could declare bankruptcy and that stops all the lukuches, all the creditors that would naturally, that you owe money to. Let's say you're, you know, you're running a business and you, uh, I don't know, you're running a hotel and, and you owe money to all of the vendors, all the people supplying you with alcohol and food and linen and, and uh, you know, all the people you owe money to. I'm chapter 11. I Hands off. You can't come after me because I have a chance to reorganize. Otherwise, I'm gonna, I'm, the hotel is going to close. So he says, yeah, I went chapter 11, but Baruch Hashem, I had a turnaround. Things broke my way. And I, I was able to, you know, get back up on top, and, and now my, my, my empire is even larger, and I'm doing very well, and I wanted to give the yeshiva a nice tzedakah. He says, well, that's great, but did you repay all of those creditors that you stiffed, all those creditors that you didn't get, that didn't get paid from you because you declared bankruptcy, you owe them money, you're about chayv to them. He says, yeah, but I declare chapter 11. He says, chapter 11 is a, it's an American legal concept, but halacha doesn't say there's something called chapter 11. In halacha, if I owe you money, I owe you money. Until my last day, I owe you money. 
And if I and I have to make sure to repay that. If I don't repay that, I'm a ganav. Chapter eleven absolves me of, of responsibility to repay people. They, they, why should they get stiff? So he says, take your check and use it to repay all of your creditors. That's a godless. That's what Rabbi Rucham taught Rav Schwab. That when you have a choice between halach and midas, the nice thing on Rav Schwab part to do, and I think every Kemat, every rabbi in the world would say, okay, thank you very much, and we'll make you the guest of honor of this year's dinner. What do you mean? I, uh, <laughs> you know, I have to worry about ethics now? There's money. It's yeshiva, taira, davening, call yourself. This is important stuff. For Yerucham Torah of Schwab, no. There is a halacha, and nothing trumps halacha. Halacha is halacha. I, but I need it, and I have to pay Marabim. That's a different question. But you have to make sure that halacha is adhered to at all costs. And everything else takes a back seat to halacha. I went this year to the Agudah Convention, not to the whole thing, but just, I have a minute, I take my son my Bukhar, to, uh, to the Thursday night session. Very geschmack. You go Thursday night, and um, it's, you know, there's a lot of great speakers, and then they give you, like, a whole, you know, buffet there. I think it's free, I don't know. But, uh, actually, I should really look into that, I guess. Um, but, uh, you know, they have Cholent, and they have, uh, you know, they, they, they want people to come. It's like a big mind and it's a big thing, and it's a beautiful evening. They have another session again, but I always go to the Thursday night one for the last few years. So, Sir Abbe Reisman spoke, and he's always great. But he spoke a little bit about this concept, about, he was speaking more in terms of how halacha is the strongest form of, of action. Meaning, Musr and Midas and all that is very questionable. And you can always like, get around it. Halacha is like the strongest medicine that works right away. He gave a mushal of a... Uh, let's say you're with a, a child. And your child... Um, you're in the pizza store, let's say. And this happens to me all the time. I take my kids out to pizza. And, okay, the damage is whatever the damage is in terms of the money, but it's doable, it's pizza, and it's a drink, and that's it. Then after the meal is over, one of them, you know, starts walking around the thing, and they find the ice cream freezer, and they go there, and they, you know, they take out an ice cream sandwich, and run, or one of those cones, and they ask me if they can have it. Now, I don't know if you know, but uh, if you buy, like, a, uh, you know, a, a whole box of these in the, in the supermarket... So it probably comes down to maybe 35 cents for every ice cream sandwich or every ice cream cone. 50 cents. When you buy in these pizza stores, that same ice cream cone is now 450. They charge like 450, five dollars for, for for a nothing ice cream cone. That's one kid. But then if you give it to that kid, then they all want it. So now it's now we're talking about twenty-five dollars for ice cream that I could get in the supermarket, the entire box for the whole family for two meals. For five dollars, so I always put my foot down and I say no, no ice cream, and and then you know, and then there's like a revolution, you know, the kids start like uh, 
you know, no, no, we want ice, you know, and then, you know, and, and eventually probably I, I generally give in. But it's debatable, you know, yeah, ice cream, dish ice cream, and, and so in the end, you know, your guilt or your wife, like, gets, gets in the way and says, okay, you know, give it to them. Because that's like a midas, musr, you know, yeah, no, ethics. But let's say your kid comes to you on Shabbos and says, Tati, you know, there's an ice cream sandwich in the freezer. Can I have it? And I say, Yitzi, you're fleshy. Baruch Hashem, you're fleshy. You just had, you just had cholin, right? You just had a piece of chicken. There's no screaming. There's no crying. Halacha. Halacha says I can't have it. Kids understand that. If Halacha says that after Fleshigs, you can't have milkings for, we wait three hours, everybody else waits five, six hours. Fine. No, there's no debating that. Halacha is, Halacha strict. Halacha is defined. Halacha is clear. There's no debate. That's the beauty of Halacha. That's the beauty of Shulchan Aruch, that it is what it is. You put the right shoe on, and then you put the left shoe on. I like that. I like structure in my life. I like knowing exactly what I should do. Musr is wonderful, but Musr is always, you know, it depends on my mood, it depends how from I'm feeling today, it depends on not from I'm feeling today. I could justify things, but when it comes to halacha, halacha is that brick wall. People respect halacha, and that's how it should be. Halacha is strict. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. And this is what I have to do, and there's no, there's no getting around it. If you use halacha, by the way, it's a great diet. Let's say you wake up at 12 o'clock at night, or you wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning, and you, you're, you're hungry, so you go down to the refrigerator, and you know that you should be losing weight, not gaining weight but you see this like big slab of cheesecake staring at you when you open that fridge and it's calling your name. It's like whispering, you know, come to me or bring me to you. And like, you know, and like, you're like, yes, dear, I'm coming. And you know, like you just, uh, and you take it out of the fridge, but you know that this is like 3,000 calories that I can't afford. So what do you do? So somebody told me once, he says, he opens up very quickly whenever that happens. He has like, he opens, he opens up the drawer with the fleshigs, and he makes a shahakom yebedvar, and he has like a little piece of salami. A drop of salami, now you can't have the cheesecake. But what do you mean? Without the salami, I knew that I shouldn't have the cheesecake. Why was I not able to, to just, because you can't. Because that's like musr, that's your own set of ethics and, and morality, or, or, or you know, your own um, self-control. So that's, you know, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll eat it tonight and then tomorrow I'll be good. Halacha is halacha. There's no, there's no getting around halacha. That's the beauty of the Shulchan Aruch. That's the Elam Mishpatim. That if a person sticks to halacha, it gives you a certain structure in your life that we all need. He said an amazing story of Arise and he said that in Eretz Yisrael, in Yerushalayim, there was a big problem because people were protesting. You know, these, these kids were protesting um, whatever it was about get, being drafted to the army, whatever the, the hot-button issue of the day was. And unfortunately, there's, there's a lot of 
these kids in Eretz Yisrael and Yerushalayim, wherever that are that are a bit, you know, they they like causing trouble. They don't need much of an excuse. They like doing things that are under the the title, the banner of Kanos. They are, they're making tremendous chol Hashem by you know. They, so what they were doing is they were lighting these garbage dumpsters. You know, they have all these garbage bins throughout Meisharim and Yishalayim. They would light them on fire. That would be part of the protest. And, the, you know, and the smoke would go up and the fire department would have to come. And it was, you know, it was an impossible situation. The people in Yishalayim that had to live in these communities, they were suffering and they wanted it to stop. You know, you want to protest, it's one thing, but to start setting these things on fire, it's dangerous and it's disgusting and things are burning and flying in the air and and they didn't know what to do. The Bestons didn't know what to do to stop these guys from doing it. They were they put out called Kairis and it's a Chil Hashem and that didn't help because no, we don't look we look at it, this is Muhammad Hashem and it's a Kiddush Hashem, this is what God wants, what he doesn't want. It's debatable. So what happened was that the Bestin came up with a chak. They came out with a Kalkaire, they put one of these, you know, these things on the wall, they plastered it to the wall. That because Inside of these garbage dumpsters with garbage in it, there's milchig garbage and there's flasher garbage. So when you light them on fire, it's bishel. You're being mevashel, basel, recholov. It's an isa And as soon as that came up, it stopped. Talacha. Talacha, you can't, the bishel, basel, recholov, that's an isa that we, we, we understand that. But what do, you, what do you mean, Matt Talley? Why did you stop just for the fact that you were making a wreck out of, out of your city? What about the fact that you're in Mechal Shem Shemayim when the fire trucks up there and the police had to come and, and fires were burning? What are you doing? That's Musr. That's, you know, that, that's something, that's a slow process. That's a debatable process. But Halacha, if it's something that's black and white, the place can say, this is it, that's it. Nothing to talk about. You know, Klal Yisrael has a, uh, there are certain, like, words of, of, that are, that are brought down, like, as, almost like a Messiah. It's not clear exactly who said it. I think they, they attribute it passively to the Chassam Sefer, but I'm not positive. But what they say is that a remez to the, to the Ramah in the Torah is, Uvenei Yisrael Yaitzim Biyad Ramah. That Bnei Yisrael went out of Mitzrayim, the Adramah with a spelled Reshmem Hey, the Ramah is really Reshmem Aleph, or Moshe Isilis. But with Bnei Yisrael Yaitzim the Adramah, that Bnei Yisrael went out with a mighty hand. We went out powerfully. So people say, this is Klai Yisrael. Bnei Ashkenaz, we follow the Ramah, Bnei Yisrael Yaitzim, we go out, we emerge, we act, the Adramah with, with, with the Ramah. The Ramah is the leader. The Ramah leads the way mightily for Klai Yisrael. I just wanted to say that, what does that mean? Why the Ramah? Ramah means power. Because that's what the Ramah is. The Ramah's authority is so powerful. The beauty of Halacha is the power behind Halacha. It's so immutable. You can't change it. Obviously, there are Paiskim that, that argue about different things. And there's, 
There are issues in halacha that obviously are, are not always so clear-cut. The famous story about Rabbi Shlomo Zalman Arbach's daughter, who was married to Yashiv's son. Or the opposite. The opposite. Oh. No, I was right? Okay. So, I know. What's the opposite? Rabbi Shlomo Zalman's son was married to Rebel Yashiv's daughter. I think Rebel Zriel Ayerbach is married to Rebel Yashiv's daughter, if I'm not mistaken. So, so his wife, Rebel Zriel's wife, so listen to who this woman is. This woman is a daughter of Rebel Yashiv and a daughter-in-law of Rebel Shlomo Zalman. Not bad. And she once went into an eyeglass store to buy eyeglasses. And this, the person that was selling eyeglasses had no idea who she was. She was just a regular woman from a woman that came into the store, customer. And he said, you know, there's a new thing that came out. It's called photogray lenses. They're able to have glasses and sunglasses all in the same glass. You're able, when you're indoors, it's regular. When you go outside, there's a mechanism that's able to make the lenses darken. And so it's sunglasses and glasses. The same thing. You don't have to buy a separate pair of prescription sunglasses. You have everything at once. Beautiful invention. Very popular. I suggest, I recommend you buying that. So she says, I don't, I don't know. He says, what's the problem? He says, she says, you know, my father holds that you can wear them on Shabbos. And my father-in-law says you can't wear it on Shabbos. I don't know what to do. So this guy looks at her. He says, well, your father, your father-in-law... Go ask the Pisic. Ask your father, your father in law. Just go ask the Pisic what to do. It's not always so clear cut in halacha like what the halacha is, but if you have a Pisic, that's your psak. You have a rob, you have a Pisic, that's what you have to stick to. There's a beauty to that. There's a beauty, it's a beautiful set table Hakarishvat gives you. A lot of people that are, let's say, not from they look at religious people like they are entrapped. They're imprisoned. You have to, like, every time you come out of the bathroom, you have to, uh, you know, you have to say a, a blessing. Somebody told me he works in an office in Manhattan, and, you know, the guy in there think that, you know, Jews are crazy because they, they come out of the bathroom and they start talking to themselves. You know, they have issues. These Jews, these Orthodox Jews, they're nuts. Every time they come out of the bathroom, they're, they're, they're moving their lips, they're talking to themselves for some reason. And so, you know, Nebuch, you have to keep Shabbos. You can't drive on Shabbos. You can't do this. You have to go to, to Davani every day. And you gotta, you got to learn. And you got to do, you know, take a palm, you know, a, a palm branch and a lemon in your hands. And it's like, you're crazy. Like, this is not a life. But if you're on the inside, if you're a year that keeps halakha, there's nothing more beautiful than that. My grandfather Lashon, used to say that Shavuos is the one day a year, ironically, that, it, that we wake up like a guy. What does that mean? Because you're learning the whole night, you daven in the morning, and then you go to sleep. You wake up, it's like, you know, 12 o'clock, in the middle of Yom Tif Day. There's, you know, you watch Shnego and then that's it. There's no davening, there's no, you know, it's just that you start eating a meal. You feel, that's how a guy feels. You know, a guy, you wake up Sunday morning, you have a 
you know, you have the Sunday times and you wake up whenever you want and you, you have breakfast at, a, you know, at 12 o'clock and you, it's not a life. That's not a life. There's no structure. You have no th- nothing telling you, okay, I have to do this, I have to do that, I have to do that. Everything is just half good. That's not the way a human being lives. You always feel this, I think, after Ben Azmanim. Come back after the summer. Every single guy I speak to, how was your summer? It was good. For the first couple of days, it was great. And then I just wanted to be back in yeshiva. I need structure. I need a davening here. I need a first seder, a second seder, a night seder, a, a this, a that, a college. I, I need to be structured. When I'm not structured, it's a disaster. The Shulchan Aruch gives us a set table of structure. This is what you have to do with everything in your life. There's no gray area. This is exactly what you need to do. And if you do this, this is what the Rabbani Shalom gets Nachas Ruch from. This is the expectation. And it trumps everything. Halacha rules. Halacha is instant. Halacha is real. Halacha is firm. And that's what being a Yid is all about. You have to be a Shulchan Aruch Yid. As important as it is to be a Musr Yid and to have Midas Tevis, that's of course not negotiable either. But what ultimately makes a yid a yid is adherence to halacha. You can't be like a very from and sweet guy and at the same time be dishonest in business. It doesn't go together. But what do you mean? He's a from guy. You're not a from guy. Don't call him a from guy. You're not from. If you're not keeping halacha, you're not. What defines an Orthodox Jew? An Orthodox Jew is defined if he sticks to Shulchan Aruch. If he doesn't stick to Shulchan Aruch, he might have a long beard and a big yarmulke. But he's, if he's a crook, he's a crook. He's not an Orthodox Jew. He ignored Shulchan Aruch. He bypassed Shulchan Aruch. He circumvented Rabbi Yisuf Kaira and the Ramah. And if you do that, then you're not. You know, then that means that by def- if you do it, amaze it. And I know, you know, sometimes we slip up. Sometimes we don't stick to halacha, but it's not because we're going against halacha. It's because we're weak. If we're weak and it's not, it's not being done maliciously, so that we're still, we're still from. But if we're doing it, we know that it's wrong. We want to go against the Shulchanar. We want to make a new religion. We want to, we want to, that's, what orth, that's what conservatives do. That's what reform do. They take the Torah and they, they take Shulchan Aruch and then they take a very big pair of scissors and they cut out the halachas that aren't Nagea to them or they don't feel as Nagea nowadays. So they could drive a car on Shabbos because that's going to allow people to come to Shul and, and have a bigger membership. And they're, they're, they don't, they're not makhbit on this and they're not makhbit on that. Before you know it, you have no Shulchan Aruch. The Shulchan Aruch is what defines Klal Yisrael as a nation. This is our set table with a mapa in the table and this is what we have to stick to. And when we stick to it and we're serious about Allah and we have a Paisic and we adhere to everything that the Ramah says, this is how we attain our Yitzhia from Mitzrayim. Our Chayrus. This is our freedom. We're not imprisoned by the Shulchan Aruch. The Shulchan Aruch frees us to understand what we have to do and we don't have to do. And Mitzvah Hashem, the more we're able to get into these parshas of Mishpatim and beyond, and we're able to absorb all of the intricate halachas and recognize their importance to Klal Yisrael and to ourselves individuals, the more that we're able to, Mitzvah Hashem, be the Yidin that we are expected to be. Have a good chance.